0: scripture reading will come from Exodus 33 but I'd like to give just an introduction to this passage that we're reading from Exodus 33 through Exodus 34 we find ourselves in, that in up to chapter 32 anyway God is giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and as the people are waiting there for Moses in chapter 32 uh, they grew restless and not knowing what had transpired and what had happened to Moses. And we know the story well, don't we, children? How they had built a a golden calf to go before them as their God. They they didn't think that God was with them any longer. and Moses was gone, so they needed to have a God of uh, just like the world had, you know, to go before them. And of course, God saw all these things and told Moses about them and, and Moses comes down from the mountain and, and breaks the tablets of the law right before them for they had broken the first, very first commandment not to have any other gods before their God, Jehovah, Yahweh. And then they gathered those who were on the Lord's side and they killed all those who were against the Lord, who were not on the Lord's side. And then Moses interceded for the people that the Lord would have mercy on them and forgive them. And now we come to chapter 34, or sorry, chapter 33, and Moses is there again called to appear before the Lord. And and I'd like to pick up a reading in chapter 33, verse 12, Exodus 33, verse 12. And I want you to ask this question. I wonder if I was Moses in this situation. If I, if I was Moses and, and I was asked to appear before God just after all this has transpired, how comfortable would I be appearing before God? Maybe Moses had some of this same dilemma before him. Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he, Moses, said to him, If your present does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate your people, and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. Then he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation." So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. I think if I was in Moses' situation, I might have despaired to think of the reality of coming, as it were, before the Lord in his presence. Maybe I wouldn't have trusted that I had found grace in the sight of God. Maybe I would not have trusted that God is a long-suffering God. And maybe the reason that we cannot comprehend God as being long-suffering is because we cannot comprehend living with someone who is constantly offending and grieving your heart by their words and by their deeds. Could you imagine living in such a home where there is a continual bombardment of offensiveness that grieves the heart of all those who live there? Would we be patient in such a situation? Would we be long-suffering? And so as we look at our circumstances also here below, we look at them horizontally, And we can many times be gripped with doubts and maybe even despair. I think of John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress. As he came to Doubting Castle and was confronted by giant despair, Christian and hopeful are are lost. They are got off the king's highway and they've lost their way and they come into the jurisdiction of giant despair who captures them and casts them into the dungeon in Doubting Castle. And as Christian is gripped with despair, despairing of life itself, hopeful is there alongside him to encourage him to be patient and, and to remember how God had delivered him from Apollyon, from the valley of the shadow of death, from vanity fair. And he says to Christian, patience, brother, patience, and prayer. And As they prayed, Christian remembers the keys of the promise of God. And he takes the key of promise, and he opens the dungeon door, and he goes out of the dungeon. He comes to the castle door, and he opens the castle door, and they're free. And as As giant despair is chasing them down, he crumbles in his weakness because they have the key, the promise of God. And that promise, the promise of God that opens the dungeon doors of despair and opens Doubting Castle and provides that way of escape are built and grounded in the very character of God himself. Maybe you have that, too, as you look at your horizontal circumstances. You remember those sins of youth, and you remember all the sins that you've committed in your life, and you think, how could God ever be merciful to me? How can he even have patience with me? You look at your family. Maybe some of you have children who've gone astray, and you think, how could God be mindful of his covenant mercy and his promises and have patience with me and my children. As you look around the church and you see brokenness and, and many times division and errors and everything else in the church and the Lord Jesus Christ universally, you become gripped with despair. Gripped with Despair. As you look around our country and Western society, which is in so many ways have called good evil and evil good, you think of the sins of abortion and euthanasia, same-sex marriages and so on that are promoted in our society, and we look at all these horizontal circumstances and we We start to doubt and we begin to be gripped with despair. And and we need to hear the words of hopeful. We need to hear them and to say, it's by pray patience and God and prayer. We need to look up. We need to look vertically rather than horizontally to a God who is merciful, who is gracious, who is loving, who is just. And his promises reflect that very truth. When he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when he says, those who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Because he is a merciful, gracious, long-suffering God. <clears throat> this morning we want to look at one of these attributes, especially focusing on the long-suffering or the patient character of God. May that also for those who are despairing and those who are doubting, direct us to the promises of God to dispel doubts and despair and to set us back on the king's highway in the mercy of God. Well, let us look at this passage, Exodus 33 and 34. And let us look at it with the theme Behold, our God is long suffering, as it is proclaimed by God and personally experienced. First of all, the proclamation of God. The proclamation of God is really here the self disclosure of God as we find as the lord descended in the cloud and stood with him Moses there and he proclaimed the name of the lord in verse 6 we read that the lord passed before him and proclaimed the lord the lord god merciful and gracious long suffering abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy to thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin we see there that this long-suffering character of God is is proclaimed as a very self-disclosure of God before Moses on Mount Sinai. And really, this this comes with many of his other attributes that we've already looked at in some degree. We looked at God being merciful and gracious, and and really what we find there is, is grace is is God giving us what we do not deserve. He gives us so many good things that we do not deserve. And His mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We don't deserve either His grace or His mercy. Rather, we've, we've seen already in many situations that Christ has merited both the grace of God and the mercy of God by satisfying the wrath and justice of God through the death of the cross. And he merited the righteousness by his perfect life. But God doesn't end there. It is self-disclosure to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Tomorrow on Thanksgiving Day, We want to see that attribute that really flows out of his grace, that goodness of God. Um, And and we'll see his truth in a particular sermon later on. But today let's focus on his long-suffering character because it fits the context here so well. Well, to to be long-suffering, this word long-suffering, many times we use the word patient today. But this word is actually a beautiful word, and I I contemplated just just saying God is patient, because we can understand that. But this word, long-suffering, it carries the idea that someone is suffering and bearing someone who is offensive to them for a much longer period of time. And it's a stronger word than patient. In other words, we have a a long-suffering, patient God. His compassions, they fail not. It takes him a long time to be angry and to display his wrath. Really, this slowness to anger is really a branch of God's mercy. It's most closely tied to his mercy. As we'll see tomorrow, his goodness is more closely tied to his graciousness and his grace. But, Mercy respects really the creature who is miserable and needs to be pitied. It pities him in that misery. And patient, it bears with him, even though he's pitiful and continues in that pityful state. So in other words, what we find here is, is that we can, we can even find that in, in our own families, can't we? For a practical example, a, a parent and a child, a child does something wrong against their parents and, and you have the, the power, the authority, and the, and the right and maybe even the responsibility to, to administer that discipline. And yet, as you look at that situation as a parent and you realize that your anger needs to be controlled and that this discipline is for their good and it needs to be done for their good, to bring them to repentance. And, and so God is also long-suffering. He suffers long in order for us to come to a type of repentance. And this long-suffering character of God is, is especially displayed here in this chapter. Or in this whole pericope of, of of Moses coming down from the mount when, when Israel had built that calf. But we could even go further back in God's whole history of delivering Israel out of Egypt. They've witnessed his power in the plagues over Egypt. They witnessed his grace and his mercy as the blood had been placed on their doorposts and the angel of death passed over them. They witnessed his power and his grace as they came to the Red Sea and God provided a way for them to go across the Red Sea on dry ground and swallowed up the Egyptian army in the midst of that sea. As they come to the bitter waters of Marah, God made them sweet so they could drink them. He provided them manna coming down from heaven. He provided them water from the rock. And as they come to Mount Sinai, they stood before Mount Sinai with God's revelation through the thunderings and the lightnings. And yet they were not consumed because they had Moses a gift from God to be a mediator to go to this mountain and now when Moses has been gone for 40 days the people break the first commandment they build a, a golden calf to lead them in the wilderness long sufferingness of God it's amazing In this story. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. God had done so much for them. They couldn't wait 40 days for Moses to come back. They're still receiving manna from heaven. And the very fact that God is still willing to reveal himself again to Moses and to keep them as an inheritance and to give them for a second time the commandments on the table of stone it demonstrates that God is long suffering. And as this long-suffering character is displayed, we need to recognize that throughout the Old Testament, this happens again and again in Joshua and Judges and Kings. It's displayed when the, the Lord finally sends His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to dwell among them. And they still push Him away, send His servants away ashamed and blasphemed as he continues even in his teaching, in his sacrifice, and the whole of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ displays the long-suffering character of God. And yet, this long-suffering character of God needs to be qualified. Even as it is to Moses here in verse 7. Yes, indeed, I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, but rather visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, God's long-suffering character, even though it's displayed, it needs to be qualified We must never mistake God's patience and his long-suffering character with sinners for the idea that God is tolerant of sin in any way. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans, Or do you despise the richness of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God and that long-suffering character of God, it leads you to repentance? Repentance. God has every right to destroy us immediately. And yet God is long-suffering and withholds punishment. But that should never cause us to think that God overlooks or winks at sin in any way. God is slow to judge sinners. Not because He doesn't hate sin. Not because He's not powerful enough to judge. But because He's long-suffering, in order to give space for repentance. We should never presume upon God's long-suffering character. Because, quite honestly, he's only long-suffering for a time until he withdraws that and his wrath is poured out upon those who are objects and vessels of his anger. And God, indeed, we read in Psalm 7, is angry with the wicked every day. And not a one of us, no one will be standing face to face with God. Moses never came face to face with God. Because God said, if you come face to face with me, you will die. But to stand face to face in the holy, righteous anger with no mercy and no patience and no shielding, no shielding of the rock to protect you. And there will come a day when the day of grace is past and there's no longer a time for mercy and pardon and long sufferingness. And yet, The very mercy, the long-suffering character of God who delights in being long-suffering even, amazes us. It amazes us because of how long-suffering he is. A holy God who cannot tolerate any sin, not even one sin. One who is openly despised moment by moment. It's truly amazing that he doesn't strike us all dead and consume his whole creation in his anger and his wrath. As we, as we see this in, in the, in the news every, every single day. We come confronted with this question, why would God even allow the world to exist? We stand in awe and we say, Oh, amazing patience and long-sufferingness. Isn't it amazing that any one of us are alive? Isn't it amazing that there is such a thing as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't it amazing that we don't have utter chaos in this world? You know, sometimes we could think, it wouldn't amaze us so much that we would be long-suffering and patient, because we are sinners, and we're patient with other sinners. But God, who never sinned, how can he be patient with people like us? It's amazing. And he does so for two reasons. One, he's long-suffering because he's fitting vessels of wrath for destruction. And number two, which is equally as amazing or more amazing is that he's long-suffering with vessels of his love that he is preparing for glory. Dear congregation, this amazing truth must be personal for you and for me, just as it was for Moses. That's our second point. We need to personally experience this. So, in verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 8, we read, So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. That's what the merciful, gracious, long-suffering character of God ought to bring us to worship. To worship. And let us notice several things that Moses does here, how this impacts him personally. First of all, it leads him, and it should lead all of us to confession, to confession. This personal experience leads to confession. It's a confession of of who they are. Uh, Moses here says, as he worships the Lord, if I have found grace and your sight to lord let my lord i pray go among us even though we are a stiff-necked people well if we look at chapter 33 god had called them in verse 5 a stiff-necked people stiff-necked they are hard in their hearts they are stiff they are rebellious against god they want to go their own way they don't want to follow the lord calls them a stiff-necked people and Moses confesses that they are a stiff-necked people that's that needs to be our first response to the revelation of God is to confess who we are before God a stiff-necked people those who have sinned and come short of the glory of God those who persist in their sins whose righteousnesses are like filthy rags nothing good to offer at all just confess it today Confess who you are. And if you think you're anything good and anything that might deserve the mercy and the grace of God, then you are completely wrong and arrogant and have not been personally touched by the long-suffering, merciful character of God. You see, Moses had to understand, and all Israel had to come to understand that they were completely dependent upon God's grace and mercy. Here he's going again and again to the Lord saying, even already in chapter 33, he says to the Lord, how how can I know that you're going with us? How can I know that we have received your undeserved favor? Your grace. Chapter... 33 verse 13 he says now therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight show me your way. He needs the grace of God. And God said That he would show Moses by revealing himself and making all of his goodness pass before him so that he could know who he was. And Moses still recognizes his need for the grace of God personally and day by day. Notice there's no presumption in Moses' words here in verse 9 of chapter 34. Let my Lord, uh, sorry, if I have now found grace in your sight, He still, even after receiving this revelation that God is gracious, he says, if I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, go before us. He's not deserving of his goodness, not deserving of his mercy that has just passed before him. But he clearly recognizes what they deserve. The need for grace, the need for mercy, the need for a God who is long-suffering toward them. That's his confession. That confession that also leads to repentance. And you can find that also in chapter 33. Because there, Moses uh, is asking for the presence of the Lord to go with him, with them. And and as he does so, he's asking that the Lord would show him his glory. But also that in verse 16 that so we shall be separate. He recognizes the holiness of God and that they are called to be separate. And so he says, and so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. There's a repentance. Because they wanted, by building this calf, they wanted to be like all of the other people on this world, having a God to go before them that they could see. They became unholy in their actions. And, and now Moses says, We shall be separate. We shall follow you, O Lord our God, even though we can't see you, even though we don't have an idol of you. We will follow you. We will be different from all the people on the face of this earth. And, and, and here he's saying, Take us. So he's, he's praying now in verse 9. Pardon our iniquity for this calf and all of our other sins and take us as your inheritance. This is leading not only a confession of who they are as a stiff-necked people, but a need for the forgiveness of God, the pardon of iniquity, the pardon of sin, and to be conformed into what it means to be God's inheritance. To be different from the rest of the world. To be separate from the rest of the world. And follow God fully and faithfully. That's repentance. And the motive of repentance is not just a a sorrow over sin, but a sense of the very mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 9? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slacknesses, Peter, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We would have no reason, no motivation to repent unless it's God's mercy waiting for us. When we come to him confessing who we are and repenting from our sins, God doesn't doesn't slap us around. But God embraces us in his arms of mercy and love and grace. Repentance is is, as much turning to God as it is turning from our sin. It's to turn to God for his promised mercy. And yet it also includes a turning away from sin itself. It's ridiculous to think that a person who sins against his Creator, against the Lord our God, and then, then would have the audacity to demand and expect mercy from God when He brings us the just consequences of our sin and, and, and not to have any desire to break from that sin Be ridiculous to think that. It'd be ridiculous to think that a parent who who's just laid down the law in their home and a child breaks whatever command that the parents gave them and now has to be punished for it, it would be absurd for the parent to or for the child to go and to say, but mom and dad, you have to be merciful and gracious. And I'm I'm going to tell you that I'm going to keep doing whatever you just told me not to do. That'd be absurd, wouldn't it? How dare we think that we should be allowed to continue in our deceitful pleasures of sin and expect mercy when the consequences of sin are experienced. We are called to repent and obey for there's no other way To be happy in Jesus. We don't come and expect and demand that which we do not deserve. Has Christianity turned into that kind of Christianity? See, the mercy of God and the long suffering character of God, that patience of God, is to bring us to repentance to flee to him, trusting in him for mercy and forgiveness, and to seek to live a life to his glory as his inheritance. Those who are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But not only does it lead us to confession and repentance, but also to a testimony of God's mercy and grace. Leads to a testimony. And that, that's, that's really what Moses is, is speaking about here. Take us as your inheritance. Do marvelous things so that your name would be glorified, even as he promises in verse 10. I'm going to do these off, awesome things as a testimony, a testimony of my grace and mercy and goodness and long-sufferingness toward you. I think Paul could identify with what Moses is also saying here. Moses is saying, despite our stiff-neckedness, despite our hardness, they were by God's grace and through his mercy, God's inheritance to be a witness to the world. Isn't that what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1? Paul, once a blasphemer, once a persecutor of the church, an insolent man who has now obtained mercy. And he experienced the exceeding abundant grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained this mercy, that in me first... Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. It's an amazing testimony to Timothy. It's amazing testimony to us. Even today as we hear his word, may I ask you, is it your testimony? Have you come to confess who you are before God? A stiff-necked, hard, filthy sinner. One who's not deserving of any of God's grace. Not deserving of His mercy. Not deserving that God would be patient with you even for one more second. And yet, to know that in Him there is forgiveness of sin, everlasting life, as a testimony of his mercy, of his patience, of his love, of his grace. Is it your testimony that you have been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Once a blasphemer, once an insolent person, and now, now, obtained mercy in Christ Jesus. If that's your testimony, it will lead to practice. Confession, repentance, testimony, and then practice. For those who have this testimony have also the Spirit of God As his inheritance. And the fruits of the Spirit include patience, being long suffering. Moses had to learn patience, and he had to continue to learn patience. He's even disciplined later for not being patient. Here they come to a rock they come to time when they had no water again. God brings Moses to the rock and he's supposed to talk to the rock. But because of his frustration and his lack of patience with the people, he strikes the rock twice. What happens? Moses could not go into the promised land with the rest of the people, but could only see the promised land from the mountains. Because he was not patient and long-suffering. If you have your Bibles open, turn to, to, to Matthew 18. We know the parable well, don't we? As we think about it for ourselves. In verse 15 of Matthew 18, when we're dealing with someone who's offended us, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you and tells him his fault between you and him alone, if he hears you. You have gained your brother, but but if you have, if he will not hear, take one or two, and he goes on to show there that, that you seek to restore them in, in in patience and dealing with them as as patiently and loving and long suffering as you can to gain repentance. But then he. And to drive that point home, he takes this parable of the unforgiving servant. After Peter asks him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Seven... T- 70 times seven times. And he goes on with this parable of the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. There was absolutely no ability for him to pay this. Not in a lifetime of service. Not in a lifetime of him serving and his whole family serving with his wife and children. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which was about enough to buy a Starbucks coffee. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I don't, I don't, I don't know, when I, when I read this parable and when I... I think of this applied in my life. I sometimes run into a dilemma. A dilemma of advocating for what is right and just. And Obviously in our society we, we have an employer, for example, that would need to pay a certain wage. And if he doesn't pay, it's, it's unjust and he might be even liable for a lawsuit. Our contracts and our employment contracts or whatever they might be, they're based on integrity and honest and justice as we do business. And in a certain sense, being patient and long-suffering and merciful is an optional virtue for us. And yet when we see mercy among people, we, we admire it, we actually encourage it we sometimes might even practice it. But to say that it's an obligation is very strong because then we would undermine what is integral and just. And yet we are called, this is the dilemma, because we are called to be followers of God as dear children of his inheritance. So how can I be long-suffering? forbearing patience as I reflect the character of God. I believe it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know that when to be patient and when not to be patient. But I want us to consider something. Consider when someone offends us Consider how we lash out so quickly at someone. Or say, well, we'll see you in court. Or we'll treat someone harshly. That is not the character of God. The character of God is slow to anger and quick to be merciful. And part of the incomprehensibility of who God is because of His holiness. It's because a holy God has put up with me marring His creation, continuing in sinfulness, the filthiness of my own thoughts and the undeserved of His mercy and grace for me to live another day past 47 years that He's given me to this point is completely undeserved and testifies of the patience of God with my sin and me a sinner. How can I not have patience and be long-suffering with those around me You see, when it becomes awfully difficult to wrap your mind around this dilemma, is to know that a sinless being is more patient with sinful beings than sinful beings are patient with other sinful beings. Yes, we need to be careful but we also need to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit and wisdom and love and mercy and patience. In conclusion, I think we can testify that God has been long-suffering and patient with us today. I think of Luke chapter 13. And I think, is this long-suffering character of God going to bring us to repentance, yes or no? We have there in Luke chapter 13 that uh, they're questioning, you know, why why are some things happening, um, such as the, the Tower of Siloam falling on on 18, and killing them. And and his question is, are they worse? Did they deserve this punishment? And and, and Jesus is telling them, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And then he gives this parable of the barren fig tree. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. And there, there was no fruit on it. And he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why, why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it, and it bears fruit. Well, but if not, after you can cut it down. Dear congregation, God comes to us this week again, just as sure as you're sitting here in front of me under the proclamation of God's word. He says, Dig around it. Show us how undeserved we are of God's grace, of His mercy, of Him being patient with us. Dig around it. Fertilize it. Fertilize it with showing them who I am as a merciful God, as a gracious God, who's long-suffering. God is tilling. He's fertilizing. He's showing us His mercy. He's showing us how long-suffering He is so that one more week or one more year or however long the Lord will have us to be able to hear of this truth may produce in us fruit to His glory. Are you ready, dear congregation, for the axe to be laid at the root of that tree? After the digging and the fertilizing, are you ready for that axe to be laid at the fruit of the tree? At at the foot of the tree? Because then will come the final judgment. But today the Lord our God he passes before us and he says I am gracious I am merciful I am long suffering would you not return to him today saying Lord this goodness has passed before me oh forgive me for mine iniquity forgive me pardon me for all my sins and renew a right spirit within me No, this is not a cause of despair. This is not a cause for doubt and discouragement. But rather, Lord, cause this fruit to abound to the glory of your name because of your promises and what you have done for sinners such as me. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, indeed you are so gracious, so merciful, so long-suffering. Let us never, let us never take that as an implication that you are not serious about sin, that you overlook sin, that you don't care if we don't reflect your glory and your patience. Help us who have been forgiven so much to forgive others, to be patient with others. Help us who have experienced 40, 50, 60, 80 years of your patience. Be patient with others, even as you have been patient with us. And forgive us, Lord, Lord, our rashness and our harshness. And forgive us, Lord, of all the times we have not reflected your glory and your character for Jesus' sake. Amen.